Did you know that today is, is Christmas Eve? Today, I, it snuck up on me. I, everybody, all the curmudgeons in my life were, you know, yesterday was Festivus. Some of you were like, what are you talking about? But if you have a curmudgeon in your life, you know what I mean. And there's, a, you know, the 1980s classic show Seinfeld. They made up a holiday called Festivus. And there was a tradition called the airing of grievances. And I think some people think that that's just part of being an older person. Is that you like hit a certain age where you're allowed to just, oh, it's my turn to air my grievances. And that, that's, we're going to push back on that a little bit today. We're going to try to push back on that. I was listening recently to a podcast, and, and there's no judgment on this like genre of podcast. There's this like new, it's like kind of exploding genre of podcast of like former military personalities are now in like the self-help world. Again, there's no judgment on that. Like if you like like the David Goggins and Jacko Willink, I think is his name, like no judgment. I'm sure that there's lots of helpful things they say. No judgment. I do have an opinion though about this. I was listening to one of those podcasts. I don't remember which one. And I was shocked, totally shocked, to hear the words coming out of the person's mouth that was saying them. Because I was like, what happened? Like, why is this person saying this? And they were saying something like this. Kids these days, kids these days are soft. You know, if we had to go to war, I wouldn't want to go to war with kids these days. It's like, hey, you got to shoot that person. They'd be like, ah, I don't want to use a gun. Is this a safe space? Ah, Kids are soft. And I was just like, pause. Who, who told you you have to act like that when you get older? Right? Like, it's like, you don't, you know, you turn 60 and you got to wear Velcro. Like, you just, it's just like, what happened to you? Like, haven't we heard this before? Like, like, like you, could, you could take that audio clip and is it from 1956? Is it from 1986? Is it from 2036? You don't know. There's almost just like this like naturally deeply in, like grooved road. That's like, well, we're older now. We got to complain about the next, you know, these kids these days. Now, I am not trying to minimize concerns and fears. Not trying to minimize concerns and fears. When you think about the future, what do you feel? When you think about, like, for example, I saw this art, this headline in the LA Times. It said this, this year we were fascinated by AI. Next year it'll take our jobs. Hmm. I don't know if you know this, but there's an election happening in January in Taiwan, which many people think will set the future of the relationship between China, Taiwan, and the United States is war on the horizon. I just want to say, if that is a war, it's going to be awful. There's an awful lot of people that are going to die. When we think about, I think, issues related to just sexual ethics, it's like, ah, how do we feel? Like, ah. Are the kids all right? When you think about the future, how do you feel? Do you feel peace? Do you feel anxiety? Do you feel anger? We started this series by talking about the dangers of nostalgia. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not speaking to you as someone who has arrived. Last night, Amy and I were watching 
uh, the old Christmas classic, Die Hard 1. And I found myself thinking, man, like this, these really were like the golden, golden age. Like nobody's on a phone, but they still have phones. Like, man, this is like, this is it. If I could pick a time to live, it's 1987. You know, David Bowie's still kind of relevant. This is it. Nostalgia. Anybody who's been a student of history knows, though, there's no era, there's no age where it was like easy. And there's a dangerous way that we can think about the future. And it's not helpful. And it's not Christian. It is not Christian to merely point out problems with no solutions. Not Christian at all. There is a Christian way to bring our anxieties about the future though. And, and it's, you can say everything you really feel. You just need to add two things to the end of the sentence. Comma God. Let me illustrate what that looks like. I'm afraid of the future. I think AI is going to take more jobs than it creates. And I don't believe that we're going to just sit around and make art. You can try that again as a Christian. I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid AI is going to take more jobs than it creates. And I don't think we're going to sit around and just make art. Comma, God. God, what do you think about the future? God, what do I do? We don't have to act like generations who've gone on before us. I don't know, when I was a kid, there was this phrase that was kind of like, you know, roaming around. It was, children should be seen and not... They said it to you too. Okay. I don't think that's a fundamentally Christian way to engage the next generation. This morning, I want to move us in the stretch zone. Around here, we talk about these different zones we can live in. If you think about life as concentric circles, the center of that circle might be the safety zone. We love the safety zone. It's comfortable. Everything we believe just gets affirmed in the safety zone. Like, oh yeah, that is how the world works. Great, I'm on the right track. The stretch zone, though, introduces us maybe to some new ideas. We're like, whoa, wait, what? And think about that. Or maybe invites us into new ways of being that stretch us. That's where growth takes place. That's where we want to live. Beyond the stretch zone is the danger zone. We don't actually want to go in there. You can go in there sometimes, but I try not to push you all, especially on Christmas Eve, into the danger zone. But I want to invite you into the stretch zone. Throughout this series, we've been talking about tangible ways we can demonstrate peace. We're saying Christmas is all about peace. We celebrate the Prince of Peace has moved toward us. So if we can demonstrate peace in a really tangible way, we'll help people discover the rest of Christmas. We're going to land the plane on this series this morning. We're talking about one tangible way that you can demonstrate peace to people around you, and it's going to move you into the stretch zone. The tangible way I believe that you can demonstrate peace is move toward a teenager. A way I think you can tangibly express the peace we have this Christmas is to move toward a teenager. That's not a metaphor for like move toward a difficult person. That's very literal. Move toward a teenager. I don't have teenagers yet. But Andy Crouch, who's a, a public thinker, he talks about one of the reasons it's difficult to move toward teenagers because teenagers do two things at the same time. On the one hand, they push you away. Dad, I know that. 
Mom, that's super lame. Push away. But on the other hand, they pull you in. Mom, like, well, I need you. Where were you? It's like, what? I thought you just said I was super lame. It's a very confusing place to live. And some people engage that by just cashing out. And then other people engage that by being critical. What we want to do this Christmas is to move toward, to see, to feel alongside, to maybe speak some things into existence that are there in seed form, to be the mentors we never had for an emerging generation. And we think that's Christian. We're going to be looking at Mary's Magnificat. Magnificat is a Latin word that just means impress your friends. No, I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a Latin word that means uh, magnify. Mary is magnifying God. And not once in her song, not twice, but three times, Mary mentions the next generation. Three times in Mary's song, She's just been told, hey, you're a virgin and you're going to bear the Messiah. I don't know if that would catch you off guard. I can only imagine it caught her off guard. She had to live with the consequences of that. And she pens this song where she, she just sees God. And she talks about these three postures, three things that God does that I think are things that if we experience those, we can then practice them with the teenagers in our lives. Now, some of you that stretch zone, you're like, what is he inviting me to? Is he telling me I need to like, become a youth volunteer at this church? Or maybe I need to like, join the Boys and Girls Club? Maybe. But I am definitely saying each of us, regardless, regardless of, of, of where you're coming from, the invitation is for each of us to move toward a teenager in a life-giving way. Because I believe the future is malleable. I don't think that what happened has to happen again. I think things can change. And I think when we move toward teenagers, we will experience the rest of Christmas. It's stretching. I, I can feel it. Like, what do I, I don't have anything in common with a teenager. That's, we're going to think I'm weird. But if we can step into that stretch zone, we can follow Mary's example, we're going to discover we have everything we need. And that no matter what comes our way in the future, we can experience rest. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. One of the things we do around here is we try to use our bodies to reflect some truths. So when we read, we're going to stand. So if you find Luke chapter 1, please stand out of reverence for God's word. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. This is Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. God, there is a vulnerability in trying to do things differently. What if it doesn't work? What if we get excited and hopeful and we get disappointed? Father, I pray that we would not just treat those coming after us the way we've been treated. But I pray that we would treat those coming after us the way you treat us. Help us to see how you treat us. Help us to feel how you treat us. And out of an overflow of that, I pray we would move toward this next generation. Ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. We're looking at Mary's song. There's a few things we want to highlight about Mary's song. There are at least 12 sentences that Mary utters where God is the subject of those sentences. There are 12 times where Mary, struck by the reality of her sentence, says, God did this. She is seeing God. Mary's song fundamentally celebrates seeing God, being aware of his movement, and then naming it. That's a celebration. That's one of the things Mary's song does. There are at least, at least 20 echoes of the Old Testament within Mary's song. Why do I point that out? It's absolutely incredible. You could take this to Vegas. More than likely, Mary was illiterate. She could not read. More than likely, she is not rich. She's in first century Palestine. She more than likely cannot read. Yet, when it comes time to creating art, what flows out of her? The Hebrew Bible. She just knows the Hebrew Bible. And I love to just point this out. I was in a seminar in seminary, and it was a room full of men. And they asked all of us men, hey, how many Old Testament allusions are there in Mary's song? And we would name them and they'd write them. And then after we listed about four, the professor just listed more and more and said, don't you guys feel the weight of this incredible young woman? You're all college-educated graduate students. And a first-century peasant illiterate woman knew scripture better than you. And I received that correction. It's a beautiful part of her song. Mary's song does three things. She celebrates God's gaze when God sees us. She celebrates God's compassion. And then she celebrates God's faithfulness. This is how she's able to face circumstances. I want to just highlight. Mary is not stepping into an easy situation. Hindsight is always 20-20. Mary is stepping into a situation where we're like, Psh, it works out. Jesus raises from the dead. What are you worried about? But she is a teenage bride who shows up. I, I can't, I didn't say this in the first service. You get this for free. In Luke chapter 2, she shows up to the inn. And I was like, oh, no room. Okay, the first century did not have inns. She showed up to family. 
Right? She go, they go back to Joseph's house. Joseph's from Bethlehem. So they show up to relatives. And they say, hey, we're here. To an incredibly hospitable culture. And they're like, hey, great. They open the door and they look down. And they go, oh, gosh. We just don't have any room. Best of luck. That's one chapter later. But do you hear her heart? My soul. That which is deep within me magnifies, prays, celebrates, sees God. Mary is not concerned about AI taking her kid's job. But she lives in a world where that's going to happen. How does she get there? How does this young, by the way, teenager, how does this teenager have an attitude that most of us can only aspire to? Well, there's three things that are going on that we can then say, okay, I, I got to live there. And the first thing that Mary knows is this. It's starting in verse 48. My soul glorifies the Lord. He has, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Why does she praise God? Why does her spirit rejoice in God her Savior? For, because, since, he has been mindful of my humble estate. That word, been mindful, can also be translated to look upon favorably. To see. Here's what Mary knows. Being seen sparks life. Think back to your days on the playground. Captain 1, Captain 2, and you're not a captain. Right? This, this Lord of the Flies recess has chosen leaders from among us. And it ain't you. You're already feeling like, ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like captain material, but we'll see when I get picked. And they go, okay, I pick Imelda. I pick Charlie. Okay. I pick David. I pick Craig. You're like, whoo, ha-ha. Second round pick. That's not bad. There's been a lot of great second round picks. This ain't bad. Being seen sparks something. Right? There may even be this, I'm not celebrating this, but there may even be like a, a spirit of superiority. You look back at the kids that didn't get picked, it's like, ah, ha, ha, not in your camp. Something happens when we're seen. Imagine you start a new job. You start a new job in your first day of work, you're like, hi, co-workers. Okay, this is a weird, that's a weird department. We're going to go to the next department. Hey, everybody, we're happy to be your new co-worker. It happens once, you're like, they're weird. It happens twice, you're like, is it me? There's something about me that I'm just like not worthy to be recognized? I told that story in the first service and someone said that happened to me. I said, well, what do you think, what do you, why do you think that happened? It's because I was working in New Jersey. <laughs> oh, being seen sparks life. What's Mary celebrating? That she's been seen by the one who matters. Look again at verse 48. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations, she's future-minded, all generations, those coming after me, will call me blessed. Why? For the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary knows that when she is seen by God, she gets resourced by God. He has been mindful of me. The mighty one has done great things. 
There's a lot of tension when we talk about God's power and God's might. Because it can feel scary. I, I, like, I, you know, whoever you think God is, when you finish the sentence, God is very important. And when you start to talk about God's power, it's like, whoa, who is this God? How's he going to use that power? Mary does not feel any of that tension. She doesn't feel any of that tension. We feel that tension, right? Like, look at, notice this with me. What, how does she, how does she, verse 50, how do, you, how do you get seen by God? Look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. How do we experience God's gaze when he looks at us, when he sees us, when he's ready to resource us? You fear him. And we're like, ah. Okay, so God is big. I am little. Ah! Oh, I'm not, I don't feel seen yet. I don't think that's what Mary means. I don't think she's talking about that relating to God on the basis of fear. It's unfortunate because in English we're just like, ah, fear. Don't worry, fear doesn't mean fear. You're like, but it says fear. I'm not convinced of that. Look with me at verse 30 of chapter 1. This is when the angel first shows up to Mary to announce to her what's going to happen to her. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So in chapter 1, verse 30, he's saying, here's how you relate to God. Stop being afraid. No, no, no. Fear has no place here. Here's how you relate to God. You fear him. I don't think they mean the same thing. I don't think the Bible has a split personality. I don't think Luke forgot what he wrote 20 verses earlier. What's he talking about then when it means to fear God? I think what it means is to really see him as he is. To really, the, the mighty one. He's God. He's huge. You know, if you think about like, if you think about how expansive the universe is, it's like too much for my brain to take place. And you think about your brain. How does your human, no one knows how the brain works. And it's like, wow, this is incredible too. Oh, the one who made both of those things sees me. And, and just being aware of that creates this awe, this reverence, this Grand Canyon type experience where you're standing and you're looking and you're like, I am small. It's not belittling. It's actually expansive. Being seen sparks life. What would it look like to see a teenager, to really see someone who's young, and to just get, man, I see you. I know your name. I have the same posture that God had toward a teenager. Mary's a teenager, by the way. You understand that, right? She, she, you're like, oh, what, what, what can I learn from a teenager? If you're reading this passage, you're learning something from a teenager. God sees a teenager. And it says he looks favorably upon teenager. Instead of having this posture of like, ho-hum, it's my turn. You know, my, my uncle, he was so grumpy toward me. Now I'm my uncle's age. I get to be the grumpy one. There's nothing you can do to stop me. I very much look forward to certain aspects of aging. I don't look forward to like, ah, it's my turn to complain. I do look forward to like dumping like food from a buffet back into the buffet. Nobody says anything to elderly people who do that. And I know that because I worked at a buffet for a long time. I remember people like, this soup is delicious. And they dump it right back in. And I was like, ah, yep, sure is. And I'm like, I can't wait to be that person. But there's also a power. There's a power that older people have. 
You may be unaware of this. It's a superpower. When you say to a younger person, I see you, you may feel like, what? What what is that going to do? But remember, do you remember you were young once? And to really be seen by someone, it's like, hey, man, I just want to say I appreciate, I saw like you were like getting coffee out there and there's only one donut left and you gave it to a younger kid. Man, I just want to say I see that. That's good leadership. Think about how that can change somebody. To really be seen. You know, what's wonderful, again, three times in this passage, Mary is mindful of the next generation. I just want to highlight that again to you. Uh, Verse 48, it says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Then in verse 55, he's remembered his promises to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. She's mindful of the next generation. I don't know how old you are. It's none of my business. You're that next generation. Regardless of if you're young, if you're old, when Mary is mindful of the next generation, she's mindful of you. Thank goodness that some of the people coming before us had a posture of wanting to be life-giving. To say, I want to see the next generation. That was Mary's heart toward us. We get to do that by being mindful of the next generation. That's the first thing that Mary's song celebrates, God's gaze. When God sees us, it creates life. My favorite artist right now is an artist named Wendy Mack. You should look her up. Her work is incredible. If you've heard of the cookbook, Salt, Acid, Fat, Heat, she did the illustrations for that. I was listening to an interview with her, and she was the only artist that they allowed into Guantanamo Bay. So the New York Times uh, hired her as an illustrative journalist, and she got to go into Guantanamo Bay when they were doing the trials for the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks. And she said, as an artist, she had to draw everything really fast, and then someone from the Secret Service would look and say, yep, this can go out to the public, or no, this cannot. She was very intimidating. But she said the most intimidating thing that happened to her was the U.S. government pulled her aside and told her, you cannot make eye contact with these people. She said, what? How do do I do that? And she said, if they look at you, you must look through them. And she said that went against every impulse in her body. As an artist, it is her job to see and to stare and to look at and then to just recreate that life on a piece of paper. You should, the the images are incredible. You should look them up. Wendy Mack, Guantanamo Bay. Even without doing that, she was still able to create beauty. But as an artist, your job is to look and to see. Why? Because the artist looks and he sees. It is not Christian to just complain about the next generation. It is Christian to see the next generation. Second thing that Mary celebrates about God is that God feels our needs. Look with me at verse 50. This is what she, this is what she celebrates in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So first Mary celebrates God's gaze. He looks at us and when we're seen that creates life. When you're not seen, oh it's terrible. Then she celebrates God's mercy. I have a problem with the way a lot of Christians talk about mercy because it's, it's like it's, it's like one twelfth of what mercy is. When a lot of Christians talk about mercy, they're like, oh, you know what it means to experience mercy? It's not getting what you actually deserve. Mercy is, you don't get what you deserve. It's a very like courtroom way to talk about mercy. And it's not untrue. But it's about one twelfth of what the Bible means when it talks about mercy. The Hebrew word for mercy is rahum. 
The word rahum means to feel compassionate over. We get the same word in Hebrew for a mother's womb. Why? Because a mother feels the need of her baby. A mother is moved emotionally by the needs of her baby. When God has great mercy, it's not as though he's saying like, well, you deserve a bad day, but I'll give you a good day. It's God saying, I feel your needs. I don't just see your needs, they affect me. I feel what you need. That is what Mary praises God for. His mercy extends to those who fear him. What's she describing here? She's saying that trusting God is a deeply relational experience. When you see God, not only are you seeing him because he saw you first, when you see him, you see a God who feels you back. That's deeply relational. And it's all built on grace. Look at uh, verses 51 to 54. Uh, all talk about this kind of great reversal. That he performs mighty deeds with his arm. He scatters the proud. So those are people who are exalted. He scatters them. He brings down the rulers. And he lifts up the humble. Hear that reversal? He fills the hungry with good things. He sends away the rich empty-handed. Some people have looked at this and said, Oh, is this like physically rich? Or is this like spiritual? It's about a 90-10 equivalent. She's talking about physical things 90% of the time and spiritual things 10% of the time. She's saying God feels our needs and meets our needs in real material ways. God does, is not indifferent to our suffering. He deeply feels our suffering. When it comes to teenagers, what would it look like to feel what they feel? You were young once. You know, I was, again, I was talking to a, a guy who was in the army, and he was like, man, I couldn't pass an army ranger test. I was 28 when I had to pass an army ranger test, and I was an old man at that point. And I was like, I haven't been 28 for a long time. Oh, man, there's, there's like a growing gap in like how long ago it was I was a young man. Ah, how, like what's happening to my life? It's just going so fast. And we can forget how little we knew. Like, remember finishing high school. And you're like, man, I've been friends with these people for my whole life. What's coming next? Am I going to make friends again? You know what teenagers don't need in that moment? Well, you know, here are a bunch of facts. Friends, you know. Who really needs them? No, but someone who feels that. Man, I feel you. Yeah, here's some of my friends' names that come to mind. Because I feel what you feel. Think about how that can change somebody. They're now not going through life being like, nobody cares. It's like, oh, there are people who care. Gives them a different imagination of what older people can be. To really feel what someone feels. Mary, she's, so she's praising God because God sees her, and not only does he see her, he feels her. And then she combines those two to create momentum. Look with me at verse uh, 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Right? That's, that's combining them. He's remembering to be merciful. Remembering, being mindful, seeing, and being merciful. She combines them, and here's what she's saying. She's saying memory sparks momentum. 
So often we think about how do we create a better future? Well, we've got to set goals and we've got to think about the future. So, right, so if you want to like hit your sales goals, you're, you're like, you know, you all, we all instinctively do this. It's 2024. We're all thinking about what? New Year's? Yeah, resolutions. Next year we're going to be talking about don't do that. It's a waste of time. Just don't. All right? But, here, but we all think, oh, you know what? If I want to have a better year, think about the future. Set goals. So, you know what? In 2024, I'm going to work out three times a week. All right, there we go. Did that. All right, now I'm going to do it. You all know that by like January 19th, we've all forgotten we even set those. People, though, some of these like military podcasts who are in the self-help world talk about actually the way to create momentum is not to look forward, but to look back. Right? So if you think about like, you're like, you know, this, at my work, I want to make eight sales a month. I really want to do that. How do you do that? You actually think about the past. You're like, man, last year, it was like really hard to close this sale, but I like sat with a person. I listened to them. Oh, man, and then it moved them. You're like, oh, I'm the type of person who's able to do that. And then you just keep remembering, well, what else did I do last year? Oh, yeah, last year I was new, and they, did, they set my goal really low, and I exceeded that. I'm the type of person who exceeds it. So by looking back, we create momentum for the future. That's what Mary does. She says, I'm headed into a situation that is unknown and is scary. How do I experience peace? Well, look again at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Why does she bring up Abraham? She's just been told by an angel, hey, you can't have a baby. Why can't she have a baby? She's a virgin. She couldn't read, but she understood science, okay? You can't have a baby. That's impossible, but you're going to have a baby. Whoa. Has this ever happened before? Yes. God showed up to Abraham and his wife. They couldn't have a baby. Why? They're super old. He's like, you're going to have a baby. And what happened? They did have a baby. Well, then what happened? Well, that baby became a nation. And that nation changed the world. Oh my goodness, God's done this before. He's going to do it again. And that's why, that's why this poem comes from a place of faith. This is what Elizabeth says about Mary. Blessed are you. Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Why? Because memory sparks momentum. When we can remember God's faithfulness, it gives us a security. Maybe he'll do it again. Maybe he'll do it again. But when you think about the future, you have no idea what's going to happen. And it feels like a crapshoot. You're just like, uh, this could be great, or this could be, you know, World War III, Cold War II, I don't know. No idea what's going to happen. So if we take all that, how do we, how do we move toward teenagers? I want to give you three ways that you can see a teenager. Three tangible ways. You don't have to join the Boys and Girls Club to do this. You can do this around the, th the Christmas dinner table tonight. Number one, you can ask a teenager this. What excites you these days? That does two things. One, it helps them feel seen. Right? Think of all the dumb things we talk about. News, sports, weather. Sure is nice out there. Yeah, I know. I just went through it. Thank you. Hey, what's exciting you these days? What are you thinking about? What? Why do you care? Well, because I care about you. I feel seen. I also feel like they're feeling with me. What excites you these days? Secondly, one of the things we can do around the Christmas Eve dinner table with teenagers, speak what teens could be, not what they are. Speak what teens could be. Mary was a first century illiterate peasant teenager. But God saw a faithful, God-trusting, believing servant who would bear the Messiah. 
through which the world would be changed. He saw what she could be, and he spoke that into her. Again, I don't know about you. I have no idea how the, the adults in your life related to you. I didn't have adults in my life who were speaking things into what I was experiencing. They were like, man, you're great at this. This could be you. I had adults who were like, you sure do watch a lot of TV. You think there's a job watching TV? That's a real thing an adult said to me. <laughs> no. What happens there? Does that spark anything other than shame? Speak what teens could be. Man, you're really curious about culture. I, I mean, you know so much about what's going on. What's going on with that? That's really interesting. Oh. Well, I don't know. I just speak what teens could be. And again, this can stir up a lot of feelings. It's like, well, no one did this for me. And again, that's the fork in the road. Do you want to be like Uncle Bob? Do you want to just be that curmudgeonly person? You can be. That's an option. It's not a Christian option, but it's an option. Last thing. This is more of an internal question, but you can also ask a teenager this. Ask, what can you teach me? There's a pastor I relate to up in Iowa, up in West Des Moines. His name is Quinton. The pastor's a humongous church. Humo I don't, we try to figure out how many people it is. Like Troy and I, I was like 4,000, Troy's like 6,000. So it's a huge church. He's like, Craig, what can I be learning from, from you? I'm like, what? Like the first time he asked me that, I was like, I know what you're doing, bro. Trying to be cool. And he's like older, by the way, I think. I have no idea how old anybody is. I think he's older. And I'm like, no, no, you don't need to ask that. Like, I'm, I really should be learning from you. He goes, no, 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 I really want to learn from you. And the first three times, I was like, no. But like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, the sixth time he said it, Hey, like, what are you excited about? What do you think about? I want to learn from you. I was like, this guy's incredible. There are older people like this. I want to be like that. I have a mentor who's 73 years old. And he tells me I have one goal in life. Is to keep from being a bitter old man. How do we do that? We become a student of the next generation. One of my heroes... A pastor in Manhattan, his name is Timothy Keller. He just passed away. On his deathbed, he, was, he, he had pancreatic cancer. He was dying for over the course of a year. On his deathbed, he penned this article about three things we should know about Gen Z. This guy's like 73 years old, dying of pancreatic cancer. And I'm reading this article being like, how does he know this? This is remarkable. And it gives me hope for the future. You know, thank goodness... Somebody created space for us. We were once the emerging generation. And we didn't get all that we needed. We didn't. I mean, it would be foolish of me to be like, yeah, you got everything you needed, now give what you got. We're always going to have to be giving something we didn't ever get. But thank goodness we know of at least one older person who was mindful of us. Her name was Mary. Three times she prays for the emerging generation. Uh, we ended one of the series, one of the sermons in the series talking about the Christmas truce of 1914. World War I, British soldiers were in a trench 30 feet away from German soldiers. They're shooting at each other. And then Christmas Eve hits. And when Christmas Eve hits, the British soldiers are sitting and they start hearing Silent Night being sung in German. 
I don't know about you, that would be super weird. They think it's a trap, and they poke their heads up out of the trenches, and what do they see? Christmas trees, all hung up in the German trenches. Slowly they come out into no man's land, they shake hands, they take pictures, you can Google, there's a photograph of it. They bury the dead, then they start playing soccer and exchanging gifts. I got, I, I heard about that story, but I was reminded of it when I brought it up the first time because I was reading a children's book to my kids. I love kids' books, probably because it's written at my level. And uh, I don't know, I'm not a strong reader, so I'm like, hey, at least the pictures help. I get a lot of sermon illustrations from kids' books. So I was reading that again to our kids. And one of my sons, when we were reading it, we came to the part where the British uh, captain came back after his subordinates had just like partied with the enemy. And there's an illustration of this very British and very angry looking guy. And my son, when he saw it, had a physical reaction. He like moved away and he was scared. And I was like, oh, that's weird. So we, you know, I being the emotionally in touch dad that I am, closed the book, we went to bed. One o'clock that morning, I feel like a, dad, dad, what? The picture. I was like, oh yeah, good night. You know, again, dad, dad. Next morning, I get reminded, hey, like, did you know why our kid was upset? No. It was that picture from the book. Oh my gosh. So I'm sitting with him, I'm talking about it. We talked about it twice. And one of the times we were talking about it, I said, hey, what upset you about that picture? And he didn't really have words. He's like, oh, that guy, he's like kind of scary? Yeah, he's scary. Well, what was scary about it? Well, he just like, he, he's, you know, he's, I don't know. Was it because he didn't see? He goes, yeah. Life and death hang, rest on our ability to see. Do you see God working and creating peace? Or are you oblivious to it? That, that captain had been given a job. My job is to win this war, to stop fighting. Well, he comes and the war is not happening. But he can't see that. He just sees, no, we gotta get back to work, shoot each other. He didn't see the humanity. The emerging generation is spiritually curious. They are emotionally exhausted and they are hungry for someone to see them. Will you see? Or will you just slide into those old grooves of it's my turn to be old now? I didn't get this. Toughen up. Or will you say, I see you. I feel what you feel. Man, I'm with you. One of those is Christian. One is not. And I think if we celebrate Christian, Christmas like Christians, we might just discover the rest of Christmas. Father, I pray you would give us eyes to see. God, there is an emerging generation that doesn't know they don't know your goodness. They don't know your loyal love. God, I pray that we would move toward them. We'd see them. We'd feel them. And we would help point them toward a future 
where you're faithful. That's all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.